0: Welcome to Conversations with Chamomile. This is your host, Jacob Lyles. Join me as we explore life together. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I have a guest who is part of an illustrious company of people. That is PhD in philosophy dropouts. I have another friend who's a drop out of a PhD program in philosophy, and he's a wonderful guy as well. Uh, John and I talk about his journey uh, through trying to find meaning in philosophy to ultimately figuring out that the only path forward in life for him was found in Christianity. Um, We also talk about various uh, ideas that Father Seraphim Rose uh, has about modern religion, especially the West's embrace of eastern philosophy in modern times Um, and john's very well versed in a lot of things he's fascinating to talk to i'll try to put some links on the youtube channel uh, um, that skip to various parts of the conversation if you aren't so interested in the philosophical discussion and want to hear more about uh, what he has to say about what he's discovered in christianity I, i think uh all of it is very good. But I, I want to help you index into the conversation where you can. I might li- list some clips out of this one because it was just very tasty. Um, and uh, just a reminder, if you are listening to me on Apple podcast, you can listen to me on YouTube and follow me there. And if you're following me on YouTube, you can also follow me on Apple podcast and maybe leave a good review if you're enjoying these conversations. Uh, so without any further introduction, here is John Battaglialli. Well, welcome, John, to the podcast. Uh, just to let you know, uh, the name of the podcast, by the way, don't think I told you, is Conversations with Chamomile. Um, so welcome to Conversations with Chamomile.
1: Are you Chamomile?
0: Uh, yeah, I can be. It's a nickname. Uh, but I also like the tea a lot. Uh, I don't have any made up right now, but I often oh, do, do drink some. Um, would you mind, uh, maybe we should start with uh, an introduction. Um, uh you know, who you are, what, what you're interested in, um, stuff like that.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm a, uh, currently I'm, a, you know, I'm a software developer. I went to, uh, I studied philosophy in school. Um, and the long story short of that is, uh, went to grad school, did that thing for a while, learned that it wasn't going where I wanted it to go, left, went into the real world, bounced around different jobs because, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to get it, job related to uh, philosophy sort of in the job market. So bounced around until settling on uh, programming as a pragmatic thing. Um, and then never totally stopped reading or studying and writing and that sort of thing. Um, so I mean, in general, that's basically, basically it. My focus in uh, school was on Heidegger. So that's sort of my strongest area though. I studied was in the continental tradition. Um, so I had to go through the history of philosophy and the ancients and stuff like that. So, I was a fan, while well, still kind of a fan of Aristotle and you know some other stuff along those lines.
0: Oh, so that was a philosophy grad school uh, program that you dropped out. Of? Yeah, yeah, I made it through master's uh, program and then
1: uh, didn't continue with the PhD because I, by that time, I became disillusioned and yeah. was like, you yeah, know, it's not worth it.
0: My my uh, vague opinion about philosophy grad school is that. Getting slogging through to the end of the PhD is probably uh, the 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 cost benefit calculation is 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 not great.
1: Yeah, I knew a lot of PhD students who were my fellow students and saw what they went through, and I was like, you know, I don't I don't know if this is worth yeah worth all that time.
0: So um, and, and so so this this series is on people making the journey to some religious faith as an adult. And um, some, I'm curious, like, how would you describe yourself spiritually at this moment?
1: Um, I hesitate to I say I, would, I guess I would say broadly Christian, but I don't have um, I don't want to say that because that means different things to different people. And since I'm not actually officially part of any church at this point, I don't want to make any claim to that. Uh, but yeah, I. I believe you know jesus christ the son of god and uh you know that sort of nicene creed at the basics also i would say
0: so kind of uh yeah i I think the uh a lot of people there's different ways to just to define christianity for sure and like one of them a very traditional way would be to say like uh can you recite the nicene creed uh and agree with it um like without reservations um so that kind of puts you uh, from from my point of view like it puts you kind of like in the center of uh sort of standard christianity uh yeah well it depends on who you ask um yeah. but
1: uh yeah I, i've been exploring a lot the uh, east west schism and division mm. um oh, cool. uh, so yeah i mean i was raised catholic mm. roman catholic uh up to a point and then dropped off and became you know a secular sort of semi-materialist until i got into gnosticism uh Hmm. and then fortunately got out of that before it uh, destroyed my soul
0: well we'll we'll, we we should definitely dive into that in a little bit of detail for yeah i you're not the first person that to really fall in love with i think gnosticism maybe for the mystique of it um Myself, uh, I uh, I'm I'm a three year Orthodox Christian now, so I, I, uh, I'm sort of aware of the East-West divide and and thinking and uh, perspective in a way that I think most people, most Christians that I'm surrounded by, don't really know that that's a thing uh, that there's such a strong difference in the in the flavor um, and approach uh, between the East and the West. Um, but I, I kind of fell in love with the East, so that's who I am. Um, and I was, a I was a Buddhist before I was a Christian. So I think there's like some sort of bias towards like loving the East that I probably had.
1: Uh, yeah, well, it seems, uh, one of the distinctions seems to be that the the West is much more intellectual than, uh, the, the East is more, I guess, broadly spiritual, at least ascetic sort of oriented than the Roman Catholic church with its, you know, Aquinas being the, uh, Sort of one pinnacle theologians
0: yeah the the uh, there's like a way that that catholics talk which is strange to me which is uh they they like have a lot of definitions and like specificity in their faith uh whereas like i think the eastern the east likes to veil things a little more uh because uh, as a um and like leave things undefined uh and, and, and that sort of reflects our relationship with the, like the un, ultimately unknowable, ineffable God, um, and uh, so so there's there's definitely that. People call the East a lot of times like mystical, um, and, and the West feels more philosophical. If I was going to put a like a label on it, um, but we can get into that maybe some at the end. Let's I'll go ahead and jump into your story a bit. I, I want to know. Uh, like, what was your spiritual upbringing like? How did you start off? Um, yeah, I mean, I was raised
1: Catholic up to a point till maybe age, I don't know, 13, I guess, broadly speaking, sometime around the beginning of high school. I kind of faded away uh, from that or just started exploring philosophy. Uh, I was always kind of driven to know what, try and figure out the meaning of the universe was basically. Mm-hmm. So I you know, read a bit about the Greek ancient Greek philosophers, and then I got into Nietzsche and Jung, Carl Jung, and that really kind of guided me up until the point that I uh, met a professor in college who introduced me to Heidegger, my, Martin Heidegger's work, and then that kind of took over for a bit and I tried to synthesize uh, Heidegger and Jung to some degree. And that's kind of like an undeveloped thesis. I did, did some papers on it, but never totally worked it out. Um, and also in college, I started getting into uh, Kabbalah and things like that, uh, which I was rather taken with because it uh, it seemed to, to, to promise a kind of experiential dimension to um, to spirituality. Because I never really bought materialism, like or like yes like metaphysical materialism as in there's only matter and that's it. That just seemed, that always seemed kind of ridiculous to me. There's just dimensions of life that clearly are immaterial, like human beings or conversations or logic, things like that are, you know, clearly not material substances. And so I kind of, uh, that was guiding my thought to, to a great degree. And I got into Spinoza and stuff like this and pantheistic sort of ideas and kind of developed this, I don't know, broadly gnostic uh pantheist type everything is god how do we know god by knowing everything uh, or by mm-hmm. be, be, i don't know that's a, the whole gnosticism thing is a is a, is a big topic but yeah I, I i i dabbled in that for for quite a while um
0: well let's uh let's let's um take some of those unpack some of those steps a little bit um so like when you were raised catholic did, did you go to were you catechized? Were you uh, brought to Catholic schools? Like what, what level yeah. of Catholicism, like were you presented with?
1: Um, I did, I guess it was like CCD or something like that for uh, up until getting communion and I was never confirmed. Mm. So whatever level that, that is, I don't know that I was fully catechized. Uh, I honestly, I don't remember. I remember mm-hmm. going to CCD and various things about that. And uh yeah, taking communion, and you know, when I was very young, thinking, getting confused, and asking asking my mom if the uh, the priest was God, and was told that it wasn't. The priest was not God, and uh, you know, I don't know. That was a formative experience for me, because I was like, oh, it's uh, God's not somebody I can meet at church, hmm. or in my childish, you know, mind. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, that's that's about as far as I got was c- communion.
0: Were your parents like seriously Catholic? Uh, one of them,
1: yes. The other one, no,
0: nah, not so much. Okay. And so when you stopped going to Mass, you said that was like in the teenage years, you kind of like fell away from that and started doing, uh, getting more into philosophy. Uh, and uh, like, what did your parents have thoughts about you like not going to Mass anymore? Well, it started actually with
1: us not none of us going to mass, but going to sort of like, I guess, Protestant type non denominational churches, um, after a big move, uh, in our lives, uh, like physical, like different states sort of thing. Um, and so I don't know why that happened. And, uh, that's certainly didn't uh, satisfy me, uh, spiritually. Um, and then one of my parents just stopped going or like, one of my parents stopped going first and then both of them stopped going. And then, um, at some point, I was given the option to go or not go, and I didn't go because I was a teenager and I, you know, knew better. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah,
0: so how are in at the same time you were getting into uh, philosophy and in and, and school?
1: Yeah, well, not in school. I, I was a, uh,
0: yeah, I, I, did guess, a lot I guess they, they don't teach philosophy in high school very much, yeah, you know? no.
1: Uh, no, I, yeah, I kind of got in a, into it on my own through, uh, my father's library where there's, you know, like Jung and Nietzsche were in there. And so I picked those up and I got into, uh, the way of the samurai with the Hagakure. Um, and so I was like, and then Zen a little bit and that sort of thing. Uh, and yeah, I just did a lot of independent reading, uh, in that direction.
0: Sounds like you're a pretty uh, voracious reader.
1: I was, yeah. Well, and still am, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, what, what kind of philosophy uh, kind of caught your interest the most? I mean, you you mentioned you were always like on a quest to know the true nature of the universe, or something like that, or the truth. Yeah, of the meaning of life. You know, that sort meaning of, it. of life. Uh, was that like on your mind as a teenager?
1: Uh, very much so. I mean, I struggled a lot with um, like depression, and now what I recognize is well, I recognized it then as nihilism, but uh, as kind of like the sort of overarching theme of my, uh, I guess, philosophical and spiritual investigations. Um, As I, like reading Nietzsche and stuff like that, I became very uh, troubled by the idea of totally self-willing things and like choosing or making meaning in the world or choosing meaning and stuff like that. The principal problem seeming to me to be well, if I have to choose my own meaning, then any meaning I choose is by definition arbitrary and therefore not meaningful. The presupposition is that there's nothing meaningful. If I have to choose it, then it must not be meaningful
0: <laughs> in, in itself. Um, it's interesting that like everyone I talked to that went through a nihilist phase, like seems to have been really depressed at that time. Nihilism <laughs> wasn't pretty depressing, man. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> like there's there's like it's almost solipsistic right like you don't have a relationship to something outside of yourself um if you're like making your own meaning if that's if that's all there is
1: yeah and it's hard to even uh, relate
0: to other people um at a certain point So, what was nihilism something you were seriously struggling with as a teenager
1: oh for sure yeah um it wasn't helped by the fact that you know I was thinking about these things and n- nobody else around me was, you know, uh, like you know, m- most people, you know, like getting drunk and doing s- stuff like that. Um, not that I didn't get pulled into some of that, but it, I wasn't able to just be like, oh, you know, let's go to party and that's that's what life is, you know, it's just a party and we're gonna, yeah, work and party, work and party. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, if you yeah, don't if, you,
0: if you don't look too closely at it, maybe the uh, maybe the uh, existential crisis can uh, be put off for a while.
1: It certainly can yeah
0: um, so did did that nihilist phase like last you through high school like to college or uh, like when did it when did it end or when did you find something that other than nihilism to be uh, or when did you find something that would like replace the nihilism?
1: I think um, ultimately it wasn't until very recently and uh, found my way back to Christianity, um, the real actual endpoint of it. There was a temporary seeming reprieve in um, studying, uh, yeah, the, the uh, well, like Kabbalah and then it sort of, and then German Romanticism broadly. Yeah. This sort of, um, you know, like, magic almost like there's there's some kind of spiritual realm or something beyond and there's inspiration and genius and whatever and i got pretty into like Goethe and um hmm. uh, what do we call it? vitalism i guess some stuff along those lines uh until i realized that that ultimately led to the same abyss or didn't actually solve the problem um because then uh, yeah i mean that's more more or less and i read. I had a project that was kind of what I was originally going to do, and when I came onto Indie Thinkers, of trying to figure out how to solve nihilism through like some kind of like creative work or something like that. But then comes the choice of you know, well, what work do I choose? And there's this kind of uh, waiting for something to 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 inspire you to, or to give you a direction. Because um, if that problem of well, if I choose it, then it's arbitrary. I kind of can't choose it myself. It has to somehow be given. Hmm. And so then it becomes, okay, well, where is it coming from?
0: Uh, is that a tenant of like German romanticism that like, there's some sort of like genius or some sort of mind, something that like comes to you, like there's something transcendent, but it's, it, it's like intuition or something. Like yeah. That?
1: I'm not I'm I'm not an expert on German
0: Romanticism,
1: and I'm kind of using that as a catch-all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm most familiar with Nietzsche and Heidegger, uh, which people Heidegger probably wouldn't call himself a German Romantic, but I think that streak is strong in him, and it certainly is, I think, in Nietzsche of um, you know this idea of yeah like there's I think like automatic writing was a big thing like uh, what's this. Uh, actually huh. Goethe talks a lot about like genius, but also these sort of like guiding principles of things that unfold in reality, uh, that are behind things uh, like vital principles, basically of the, of the universe that, uh, yeah, unfold. And you kind of tap into that or make yourself receptive to those things or, hmm. or, or whatever. Um, and I've become very wary of that now after uh, my recent explorations, but, uh, the sort of basic conclusion that I ran into is that humanity is not sufficient on its own to give itself a purpose. And so I was seeking down this sort of esoteric spiritualism sort of thing for some kind of uh, otherworldly
0: thing to give that to, to, to me, basically. So, so you're like trying to tap into some sort of world, some sort of spirit or sort of... Uh, energy of some sort um like automatic writing that's just like is that just like writing without stop like uh, like uh sort of intuitive writing um
1: my understanding is that it's almost like they probably wouldn't call it demonic possession but it's something like where like you're writing but it's not you writing like Mm -hmm. you're kind of just your hand is taken over so to speak by something else that's not you um
0: was was goethe a christian
1: um, I don't know what he called himself. My impression is that he isn't in any meaningful sense, because I'm pretty sure that any Christian tradition that I know of would label him a heretic at the least,
0: Okay. if not
1: an outright apostate.
0: Uh, so, so at least extremely creatively Christian in a way that maybe was like outside the, the bounds of sort of standard Christianity. Yeah, well, he,
1: he seems to be kind of pantheistic, which a lot mm. of that stuff is where you have, you know, Existence is, sort of, broadly speaking, one substance unfolding according to certain definite principles, and there's no mm. there's no transcending God already, um, inherently and, and totally.
0: That sounds um, really Hindu.
1: Father Sarah from Rose, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. Uh, mm. It goes into all that kind of stuff, but yeah. Huh. It all starts looking very similar after a certain after a certain point, Gnosticism, Hinduism, German romanticism. And I mean, Schopenhauer's exemplary, you know, he explicitly got into Hinduism. I forget what it was, if it was Vedanta or something else like that. And that like one of the basis of his whole philosophy and Nietzsche's a student of him and it's all kind of there in the background maybe.
0: Okay. So you mentioned kind of like three, uh, three intellectual influences Um, you mentioned uh, like, there's like a pantheism, a Kabbalah, and uh Heidegger. Uh, which one of those did you encounter first? Probably it was either
1: Kabbalah or Heidegger. I encountered them both kind of at the same time, and I discovered Spinoza later. And Spino- when I say pantheism, I'm basically using Spinoza as my sort of point of reference.
0: Spinoza and pantheism, shall we say. Um, so the uh, Kabbalah and Heidegger, that's, that's quite a brew. How did you... Uh, how did you react to those Like when you when you encountered them?
1: Well, I kind of had taken Heidegger as a starting point, so maybe I got to that first. Yeah. Um, and then Heidegger, like using being in time, really. Um, and Heidegger talks about uh, the sort of state, or not, a, it's not a state, but uh, existential, I uh, mean, it's a mood. I think it's a mood or attunement or something like that, a resoluteness yeah. where you kind of come to yourself and you cease your inauthentic inauthentic way of being uh, and become like authentic and, you know, in view of your own death, basically. Um, and what I was thinking was, okay, well, uh, you know, Kabbalah has this sort of systematic meditation that can supposedly lead you to the divine realms or whatever. And while that seems to be true, or let me assume that it's true. Um, and then Heidegger says this, maybe you get to a state of resoluteness and, you know, affirming your death or something like that. And from there you can do the meditation. Like the meditation presupposes that you're like authentically present, I guess, um, and not awash or something like that. That was my working thesis. I never really developed it, but that's kind of where I was going.
0: Mm. Now, um, did you have anyone else that, that was doing this kind of stuff? with you, like, did you have friends who were in Kabbalah or is this like all individual, like you reading books and you uh, taking on these practices?
1: Uh, It was pretty much me. I mean, I had a professor that was effectively a tutor on Heidegger, but not on um, Kabbalah. That was a pretty independent uh, sort of thing, though I had friends around who were interested in, you know, uh, like shamanism and the other kind of spiritual or spiritistic sort of things, but not Kabbalah in particular.
0: And uh, so I don't know. Uh, in the, I come from San Francisco. Whenever, whenever anyone says shamanism, I, I hear psychedelia. Um, is it that or is it more uh, like just primitive religion in general?
1: Uh, both
0: okay, like shaman
1: as witch doctor, as pharmacon or, or pharmacist, or whatever sort of
0: thing. I see. Um, so how, how long did you uh, like pursue the this path of? Heidegger plus Kabbalah.
1: Uh, I kind of dropped off Kabbalah after I talked. Co- coincidentally, spoke to a Catholic priest, even though I wasn't didn't I didn't consider myself Christian at that time. But he was a uh, substantial Heidegger scholar, uh, to say the least. Very um, well reputed, let's say. And so I spoke to him about Heidegger in particular, but I mentioned experiences I had had doing Kabbalah because I found, you know, like, oh, if I do these meditations, it actually did what it said it was going to do. And I mentioned it to him, and he's coming from a Heideggerian perspective. He was basic, he basically said, well, that's escapism, and what you need to do is be here, like, in this, you know, present in this reality, not escaping to some otherworldly reality. And I was like, okay, that's, that makes sense. I get that. So I just, Kind of dropped it off, uh, and my thinking went along more of the, the um, sort of yeah the sort of Goethe type line of uh, Goethe and other st- uh, sorry it's been a little little while the sort of I had studied Paul Clay actually for a bit um, and he talks about making the invisible visible and so I started going down that and it's like okay well how can I make invisible things visible things how can I Communicate the inner principles of things of nature in particular, uh, the invisible things, things that aren't knowable through empirical science, but only through I guess like an intuitive vision or something like that. Um, and so I kind of let Kabbalah go from like some, like meditation sort of thing to a rather I don't know attempt at some kind of artistic vision or something like
0: that. So there's um there there seems to be a thread of like wanting to have uh direct experience or participatory knowing of truth um like because you're you're taking on you're not just reading books or like analytical philosophy but you're you're also getting into like meditation and artistic endeavors and like an attempt to know or participate in the the, the truth that you're looking for
1: yeah definitely i mean i was kind of under the hypothesis i guess that art could be a way of knowing basically in contrast to science and in some sense i think that's still kind of true in a, in a basic sense of learning a skill grants you a kind of knowledge of the world that's not given by a sort of uh, detached um, experimental method if you learn how to build a house you know there's knowledge in that that's not available through just experimentation it's just a different kind of knowledge but i was thinking of art as a way of like scientific knowledge. We're trying to put those two things together. It's con- contemplative knowledge. Art is a way of
0: contempt- contemplative knowledge, I guess. Mm. So is there any, um, what do you think about the relationship between Heidegger and Christianity? Like, is there compatibilities there? Or do you take anything like, do you still take anything with you, uh, from Heidegger or, uh, or is that like something you've,
1: um, act, yeah. I'm actively struggling with that actually. Um,
0: initially I thought
1: there was I read some papers I found about how Heidegger on, on the one hand was Catholic for a time then became Lutheran and then just anti-christianity in general um, but his apparently his earth some of his early works or early thoughts were definitely influenced by the Christian idea of, of the human person but he goes beyond it and it's there's some things that are that are crossovers. It almost feels at at times like he's trying to reconstruct or redetermine human existence in without the Christian categories or without, particularly without sin and without God. Hmm. I think a lot of it fits or or can be, you you know, roughly is roughly compatible, but there's certain commitments in his thought that are explicitly atheistic and, um, i would say nihilistic but also you know he really doesn't want to have sin like he has this idea of fallenness um as a category of human existence uh where you could be authentic or inauthentic and you fall away from your authenticity or not um as a kind of like erring or whatever and you know people you know christians might be familiar with the idea of sin as amartia in the greek you know it's missing the mark or whatever um, and it sounds a lot like sin, but without the sort of without without a lot of it, without the dimension of it being sin, you know, mm-hmm. falling away from God or going awry in a spiritual sense or, and without any kind of ontological permanence, say, like you have, you know, that you you commit sins and you have to go to confession in order to, you know, have them remitted. It's like fallenness is just sort of go, just going back and forth with no particular significance as to either one of them such that it becomes unclear whether or not authenticity is actually better than an authenticity or why would one wanna be one or the other? And what I keep hearing is that, well, you don't actually choose to be authentic or inauthentic like Sark would talk about with bad, good faith, bad faith, but rather it kind of just happens to you
0: or not. Hmm. Yeah, and if it's just but, happening to you, it's not really clear why you should care about that particular distinction yeah, it's at not, all. No, it's not clear. Yeah. yeah. I mean, speaking from like a modern uh, contemporary um, culture, like, you know, the idea of authenticity is held in high regard um, as having more, being more lively or having more flavor or being more enjoyable or certainly having higher social status, like to be authentic. Um, But I don't know if that's like the same kind of authenticity that. Heidegger's no, really that is very about. different.
1: Yeah. I, I would think that what passes for authenticity now would count as inauthenticity in Heideggerian terms. <laughs> in most cases, I would think.
0: Fascinating. Um, so, uh, so you have this Heideggerian foundation. You go through this Kabbalah phase, uh, and and uh, th- then we come to like pan- pantheism. Like, what, what did that phase of your life? How did you try to enact pantheism?
1: Um, well i guess i don't know if i tried to enact it so much well i guess i kind of did so i discovered spinoza i guess in grad school um and really and read spinoza's ethics and found it to be to essentially solve the mind-body problem basically like he kind of neatly solves that issue by just saying you you know god is one substance and mind and body are two attributes of one substance
0: Hmm.
1: basically and you can kind of look at them under different aspects and uh
0: the mind body problem is just how the mind and the body relate because like mind is phenomena and body is matter
1: well it's it's almost as if it's both it's just both or like body and mind are just two ways of looking at the same thing effectively mm-hmm. so, more that's not exactly correct but roughly speaking um so I, I, there's a word for this in modern usage like of like brain like brain versus consciousness, uh, where they're mm. kind of just taken as the same.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes people talk about like dualism, or you know, my my, or it's like consciousness as being. I, I'm familiar with that like the the study of like what is consciousness and like people having different opinions on that is is a different is like a branch of philosophy, right? So some people say consciousness is separate from from the brain. Uh, like those are two different things. Others say that like, consciousness is, doesn't, isn't actually there. Um, although, uh, you know, it's, the brain is all there is. Um, and then other people would say that consciousness is primary. And like, we only know the brain through our conscious experience of people telling us about the brain or us poking at a brain. Um, so uh, I I'm kind of, Familiar with like these philosophical questions, but not in any sort of professional way.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are real, real questions that people ask. That kind of Mm -hmm. fall out of Cartesianism uh, or Descartes, the Cartesian dualism. And I think what Spinoza, why Spinoza appealed to me, is because it seemed to me to resolve that issue by basically saying there's not two substances. There's not a mind substance and a body substance, or consciousness and matter. There's just one substance, which is everything, which is God. And it's experienced in different ways. And it's there's God has infinite attributes and it's infinite everything, basically forever. And in that sense, it's kind of actually like Hinduism. And that's where that sort of parallel comes in, where there's some ultimate, ineffable, unknowable, infinite everything that one participates in some finite, finite amount or in some finite way at any given time, uh, such that insofar as uh, reality is god or everything is 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 god not not, not the true god in my estimation but uh, everybody's divine because everybody's part of you know this divine substance basically
0: yeah so, so you get to have
1: your cake and eat it too you don't have to do anything you're just born god already
0: yeah there's nothing to do you just have to realize how awesome you are in the first place and it's kind of like it reminds me a lot of like the the you know, I was kind of in the neo hippie culture in the Bay area for a while and, uh, around a lot of psychedelia and there's this feeling of, uh, probably the dominant, this is probably the dominant spiritual paradigm that people use. Like all is one, um, you're perfect already. Um, there's nothing you need to do. Um, just realize you just need to realize that there's nothing you need to realize. Um, and, uh, be at peace. Um, and, uh, I, I, sh- I just suppose that, uh, I never could really believe it. And, uh, and I found it not to be a satisfying um, solution. And I didn't like the people that were satisfied with it. Um, so that, that was kind of, but I, I think a lot of that influence, I'm not sure if it's coming from Spinoza as it, much as it is coming from the East more, um, or, or like the Hindu mentality, uh, probably.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if it's, uh, I mean, I think in modern culture, Spinoza didn't have that much of an influence directly. Um, Well, Nietzsche apparently in one of his letters says that when he discovers Spinoza, he says, oh, I had a predecessor I didn't realize. You know, Hmm. so there's some kind of connection there, which I think that's a topic for another day. But I think the sort of underlying thoughts are the same, even if they didn't originate in the same space physical space say like it did spinoza didn't come out of india and as far as i know he didn't study hinduism but he reaches a somewhat similar conclusion um
0: maybe there's just like a finite set of conclusions about um what uh really exists like there seems to be a couple of only only a small set of like distinct choices i mean i i kind of
1: I'm starting to think there's just two choices. There's a knowledge or faith um, where the common element between Spinoza and say Hinduism is that, and, or Buddhism for that matter, is that the the difference between like being in a good way or a bad way is, is knowledge or your own awareness of your of your situation and you know and the eastern stuff you deconstruct your desires or learn to uh, set them aside and then you can know the ultimate internet whatever whereas in Spinoza it's actually kind of similar he has a whole thing in the ethics about uh, the passions and how to attain freedom uh, from the from the passions and by doing that you realize the ultimate substance basically and become it's effectively like your your will becomes uh, one with God, but God's not a person mm. uh, sort of thing. It's like you, you it's kind of it's weird. It's a little bit different, but the sort of uh, salient thing is knowledge through some kind of rational, more or less, means, or gnosis. And this is, I mean, that's my understanding. That's the sort of thing with Gnosticism is you attain the good, ultimate good reality by realizing that this one's, you know, an illusion or something like that. You, you learn something. It's through some kind of enlightenment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what was it like to be a pantheist? Why?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's, well, it's great until you realize it's empty. Because um, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want. And, you know, it's about, uh, it's ultimately hedonism. I mean, I think that's the, the natural end conclusion of it, uh, where, it's about feeling feeling good and feeling at one with the universe and whatever and if drugs help you with that great but that's unreliable so then you have to practice you know so that you can always feel like this is the best of all possible times you know and i'm in sync with the universe and uh, whatever and you get a high feeling you know but um it's not ultimately spiritually satisfying i don't think and it doesn't mesh very well with everyday life and uh you know when you have to go to a job that you that you don't like or you know or that's pretty miserable um it doesn't really help with that at all uh it might even exacerbate it because then you're like oh but i know that there's all this stuff that's way more meaningful than this but i have to go work this stupid crappy job this is all lies and illusion which is itself kind of partially true but it doesn't really give you any kind of way to deal with that other than just waiting till the weekend or whatever to go escape into you know div- divine land or whatever
0: hmm. yeah so, so it, it sounds like it's not very good at like coping with suffering <laughs> no it's <Yeah>. not <laughs> and, and like and, you know in the, in, the, in the hippie spheres i ran in where everyone was like uh hindu without knowing it it was like you know these these are very blessed people mostly right like they're you know they make good money came from good families have a lot of free time um you know, it, it's kind of uh, you know the the buzzword people say nowadays is privilege, and like I don't know that you'll ha- find like more privilege than you will at Spirit Rock um, or Esalen uh, than like most other places in the country. Um, and uh, like when you when you, I do think there's something about like suffering and becoming and finding a genuine spiritual path. Like those those two things kind of go together. But you need to find something better than like strong enough to stand up to suffering.
1: Yeah, that's, I agree. I think, and that's part of why, I guess, Christianity appeals to me is because unlike anything else that I know of, it actually deals with suffering and affirms it. Um, And I think the turning point for me was recognizing that um, the the life of Christ, even if you interpret in purely human terms and what was accomplished on the cross, even if you totally separate out all the other stuff, which is, I think, significant, there's a refutation of the sort of worldly logic of life is only worth living if i get what i want mm. um and in that sense it's in the, it's a profound affirmation of life even or perhaps especially in suffering which is absent from the other traditions as far as i know like in buddhism you're trying to you're trying to get away from suffering you know mm. and, and gnosticism is very aggressive about that like material reality sucks it's an illusion because it's painful, you know, and whatever. And we have to get to the pure place where there's no suffering and uh, there's no good. Suffering is evil. You know, suffering is bad. It needs to be avoided or, or realized to be an illusion or, or, or whatever.
0: Um, yeah, that's really, that's really well put. Um, and, and, it, and I think it really shows in yeah, Christianity's affirming of life. Like, like uh, even um, like one thing that's really touching, I find is how, you uh, like children with disabilities or adults with disabilities are, um, are sort of like uh, accepted into the parish life, and like um, like a Christian parent who has a disabled child uh, like views that as a, you know it's like a holy mission from God to raise a disabled child and to care for them and to give them the best possible life that you can have, and it's not clear. That's a very bizarre thing to think. Um, like there's a lot of different perspectives that you can take on that, but for a Christian like the disabled child is also uh, a child of god um and that is loved by god and you know deserves to um have a have a, a, a normal a human life um as much as anyone else um and uh yeah you won't find that in materialism for sure um
1: no um i mean it seems to be un- unconditional yeah. uh, in a certain sense like they're like all life itself is good and is a gift of god even if it's you know in some kind of crappy circumstance or there's something difficult or painful
0: uh yeah like with the cross being like you know the the prototype um like it was a very painful thing but worth it like it was it was good that christ lived in in in, even though his life was very hard um so I, I do, the Gnosticism you ran into, is that Christian Gnosticism or is that some, a broader term? Uh. Um, I
1: mostly was into, uh, into Kabbalah. I mean, I looked at like the gospel, of Thomas and stuff like that. And Young, who is, I, I wouldn't call him Christian, but uh, he was definitely very into the Christian Gnostic uh, uh, tradition, I guess. Um, but Gnosticism in my understanding from what I've been reading lately is a uh, Broadly, it existed, it predated Christianity and post-dated it. And then it kind of, they tried to make a Christian version of it, which was not very Christian, but also very Gnostic, I guess.
0: Mm. And uh, so how did you eventually like encounter Christianity? Like what was that process like?
1: Um, I suppose in a nutshell, it was a couple of things. Like I'd struggled with uh despair i would say for for some time and struggle with thoughts of suicide and stuff like that and i i eventually reached a point where i was like well you know i'm not going to do this i'm not going to do that i can't because it'll hurt people that i care about so uh, that's fine that stopped me from that and uh, but then i started to be like well what if they die you know and they're not here then what's to stop me and so it's like okay i bought bought myself some time uh, so to speak. And I eventually just resolved myself. Like, I'm, I'm just not going to commit suicide. I'm just not going to do it. It doesn't matter. I'm going to deal with it. But I would keep hitting a low point and hitting and despairing periodically. And over the course of 2020, for various reasons, that became very frequent. And I was reached a you know low point. And I was like, I reached this point again. I promised I would never get here again, but here I am again. Something I have to find a solution to this. Something has to. to something has to change. Um, and the other, on, on the other hand, there's a recognition I feel like of what's been going on in the world, that uh, evil is real. Basically, like there's stuff that I am uh, completely incapable of explaining by any rational sense. Um, to the to the point where I basically started reasoning like along the lines of, well, Satan's clearly real. And if Satan's real, then God must be real. Mm-hmm. Now, there's kind of an implicit faith there already, but it seemed clear to me that there's there's evil out there that just it, it can't be explained by rational or, or natural means. Um, mm-hmm. Humans do things that other that no other animals do, and if we're just animals, then you got to explain that specific difference and why we do these things. that makes no sense from the standpoint of survival of the species or or things like that. It's completely it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it strikes me as like trying to go through 2020 and being a pantheist uh, It would strike me as like very bizarre. It's like you have to see like like all this like violence and conflict breaking out and think like, you know, this is like all God doing it to himself for fun. It's like it doesn't seem very satisfying uh, of an answer.
1: So well, I think the challenging thing would be that you from that perspective, you would have to affirm it. I, just purely as it is without any reason. Like it's not, like, it's not even like, Oh, it's the will of God and there's divine providence or something like that. It's just, no, this is what's happening. And if it happens, it's, it's good because there is no good in evil ultimately, or evil is an illusion.
0: Um, but it, it seems like you, you had like a pretty powerful intuition that like evil actually did exist.
1: Um, yeah. There's certain things that I can't accept. It's like, there's no way that, it, and if it, if going beyond good and evil requires me to accept certain things as acceptable, then I, I can't do that. And I will be a, you know, a, be a moralist or whatever you want to call somebody who will,
0: you know, yeah. It's, it's asserts almost,
1: that there's, that there is good and evil.
0: It's almost um, yeah. It's almost uh, not cool to believe in good and evil, but that's not quite right. Like I think our world um, actually is kind of like the post-Christian world is, shaped by Christianity in a way that it's it's not quite nihilist. Uh, It does believe in good and evil, just sometimes a distorted version of it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, but my impression is it's looks like antichrist to me. Um, Yeah. It's like, it's like a weird inversion or perversion of Christianity that looks kind of like it in the superficial way. But if you look deeper, it's not actually that. Um. And it seems like Christianity seems to be one of the only things that has any kind of fixed sense of good and evil Mm. at all. Like these other things either get rid of it or collapse them or go beyond good and evil such that it's either an illusion or it's both or something like that. Rather than, no, there is good and evil. And this is what good is. This is what evil is. And that's it. Mm. There doesn't seem to be much else like that that I've found. Certainly not that's in the public consciousness anyways.
0: Well, so... Yeah. It, I guess it turns out that like beliefs have consequences too. It's like if, if yeah. people stop believing in good and evil, then like the world changes. Like it's a very different world. Um, which you also see uh which I saw in the Bay Area have you seen too, like people really exploiting each other? Um like people that were very into the deconstruction of good and evil and all those rejecting the traditional ideas, like just taking advantage of each other in various painful ways um uh yeah ideas have consequences but i would say that i think the um all the abrahamic religions have a concept of good and evil uh it it is a it is a lineage but and maybe just those i don't know that yeah i mean certainly um from what i know like the pagan um, pre-Christian, uh, you know, Greek and Roman religions, like, I don't think they had an idea of good and evil. They had an idea of, like, good and bad, like, being good at something. Like, you know, you didn't want to be weak. You didn't want to lose a battle. But there, maybe not be dishonorable. Um, maybe there yeah, like was a code of like, honor. A... But but there wasn't really the strong sense that, like, uh, like, the reason why you didn't want to offend the gods is because they might punish you, not because there was any sort of, like, intrinsic evil um yeah
1: and what is good what is punishable or not punishable depends on which god you're serving at it, at the given time and the gods didn't always agree with each other
0: so it, i mean it does seem like you had some sort of sense of faith that like life was worth living at least like you even before you were coming to explicit christianity you're deciding that you're just not going to kill yourself and then um and then finding and and then looking for reasons to like or, or looking for what 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 supports you in that
1: yeah pretty pretty much um i mean probably one of the darkest times i had was this sort of you know existential sense that it's rational to kill yourself you know or it's better to like it's the say se- se- uh seder wisdom of um like the like pan or the god pan uh Nietzsche talks about it in Birth of Tragedy where, you know, it's better to better to not be born at all. And if you are born, better to die quickly, Hmm. basically, like a sort of, you know, refusing to accept life effectively um, and feeling that, oh, that makes sense. If nothing means anything and there's no meaning in suffering, uh, then, you know, whether or not life's worth living depends on how much you're suffering. And if you suffer enough, then, yeah, it becomes totally rational to kill yourself. Cause nothing means anything and it doesn't matter if I live or die you know and that's a pretty scary place to be and at bottom it's just it's not livable you know and so I can't I, I mean I would say at this point it's by the grace of God that I didn't do that uh, and ultimately led me to, to where I am so I don't you know I don't know by what other than the grace of God I didn't decide to do that you know because from from within that perspective, There's no way to get out of it without something else.
0: Um, Hmm. I mean, and that's kind of, I think, a very rational description of the human, uh, of human life in general is um, like there has to be something reaching in from without to provide meaning or provide order, some way to orient yourself. Otherwise, it is all kind of arbitrary. Um, So, like, you know, in Christianity, that's the revelation of God to men um and in an in individual life it can be i suppose uh an act of grace a calling um now uh how did you come across christianity and decide that that was the path that you wanted to go or that 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 was the right answer to the the place or the right response to the place that you found yourself in uh,
1: that's
0: a good question um I think it is probably
1: reverberations of things that I had uh, read or learned either through my upbringing or even in in school. Like I I minored in religious studies in college and so I was exposed to Christianity among other things. Um, And I think (laughs) for the course of the past year, I couldn't help but think of um, the overall anti-worldly disposition of Christianity and the, you know, story of revelation and, and stuff like that, like the book of revelation or apocalypse and seeing the patterns, I guess. And like, Oh, well, this pattern matches. This is what the world is. And I, I got pretty deep into a lot of, but um, let, let's say uh, not mainstream materials, I guess in looking at like, well, how, what is this going on? Because I can't, it, what people are saying they care about and what they're doing are not lining up. So what are, what's actually behind this? How can I understand what the motives are and try and, you know, reverse engineer, so to speak, or understand why these things are happening. And, uh, through that process, it came became, I guess somewhat clear to me that this is a worldly disposition and rests on the assumption that this world is all that there is basically. Um, And getting yours in this life is the ultimate aim of life. And that's how this stuff is all operating. And I I think I just kind of started to intuit that that's not right. And that Christianity has always kind of rejected that idea. Um, And I also was reading uh, William Blake at the time. And uh, oddly enough, for his sort of... Gnostic or not or mystical, whatever. He, I mean, he has like the marriage of heaven and hell and uh, Proverbs of hell and stuff like that. And like I was reading that and I was like, oh, this is this is appealing and I, it's accurate. insofar so far as that, like that stuff is definitely consistent with what uh, the demons would say. But I didn't think about it like that. I was just like, oh, well, you know, let me try this out. This is some mystic stuff, you know, um, He has something what it's called the everlasting gospel. And he has like an account of Jesus there, which is in its own way, kind of true um, in uh, he basically characterizes Christ as rejecting, rejecting the world fully. And I forget the the line or the couplet or whatever off the top of my head. Oh, it's um, humble toward God, haughty, haughty towards man, something like that. And that, I, that resonated with me, I guess, and so that kind of—I uh, don't know—gave me ah something of a soft spot for uh, for Christ, which I always—I mean—I never really rejected Christ. I kind of rejected organized religion, or that's how I conceived of it to myself. Um, and so Christ seems to be this sort of paradigmatic rejection of the world. Um, and Nietzsche says as much. He just says it's bad, basically. And I was pretty steeped in Nietzsche. So so Christianity was always kind of like swirling around there in in, in the back, even if it was a something to to be rejected. Um, and that kind of fits the fits the pattern of, well, it's Christianity versus the world. And that's the story that it, that it always has been. And even if you talk to the nihilists, it's the same thing, you know. Christianity hmm. is not in line with this worldly goals we can't have communism right or whatever if we have Christianity you can't have fascism if you have Christianity it's incompatible with all these sort of worldly utopian visions um hmm. so it almost seems like I don't I don't know where else I would have gotten to <laughs> uh, other than that but
0: yeah so so I guess when you eliminate all the other possibilities as being some, some, some uh, permutation of uh, this worldliness, um, you're, you're sort of left with, um, you have to have some orientation towards the transcendent God. Um, like it's either God or like you were saying, meaning, meaninglessness, like self-reference. Um, and uh, so, so uh, I guess Christianity, was there a particular like moment where where you thought like I am a Christian now or I'm, or like, yes, this makes sense or something like that. Like yeah, was, was there was there a road to Damascus moment?
1: Uh, uh, there was actually. Yeah, okay. it, was a, it was a subtle. Well, we're not, not so subtle. Like I like I said, I was reading Blake. You know, I would read before I go to bed, and um, I have a dual edition of like the complete poetry of William Blake and John Donne, with the, that also included sermons of John Donne. And hmm. um, he was a minister. Uh, in his later life, apparently, um, after, if I recall correctly, don't quote me on this, like, you know, he was a, he was more of a poet when he was younger, and then, I guess, got married, settled down, and was ordained at some point um, later on, and then that's what he was for the rest of his life, something along those lines. I don't know if he stopped writing poetry, but it definitely changed in character, I think, but in any case, I, I had stumbled Randomly opened to a page of one of his sermons and I was like, oh, you know, let me read this Um, And it spoke to where I was at then it was like a sermon about Job and the book of Job um, And why did, you know, why did evil happen and whatever because I was thinking about that Like I was saying, you know, seeing this sort of evil in the world and the way the world's going And it spoke to where I was at um, and I was very moved by it and um, My mother had actually gotten me a devotional just because, you know and I was like, well, let me check that, what the date, the thing is for today on there. And it was also about Job. And I was like, uh, something in that moment uh, kind of clicked. Um, and I was just overcome, I, I would say, like with uh, with breath, for lack of a, a better word. And I started weeping and almost uh, almost like dry heaving. And it felt like something like left me, uh, so to speak. And in that moment, it just—I guess—it was like, "Oh, this makes sense now," <laughs> or, or you know, "Christ on the cross makes sense." Uh, w- whatever that means, it was almost like it was just—I didn't know exactly what that means. It's like this is this is a true statement, and I don't know why. And um, in the wake of that, I—I I was just, you know, asking myself. I was like, "Well, am I a Christian now?" Like that's what it seems like just happened, but I don't understand it. And then from there, then I started to get more serious about understanding what had happened um, and what Christianity is. And that was that's a another longer story. Um, but in retrospect, after this event happened, I recalled a thought that I had had almost subconsciously a couple of days before, where I had like sort of mused to myself, like if I were going to convert to Christianity, how would I do it? Cause I did was like, Oh, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't like organized stuff or whatever. And that's what I was thinking. And, um, now I almost wonder like if that was a kind of prayer that was answered without mm. me explicitly doing it, that, or thinking that I was praying. Um, but yeah, I
0: don't know. So that was kind of the moment where you'd, I guess you, uh, uh, accepted Christ or, or, like you know you're saying he makes sense so 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 you c- kind of started considering yourself a Christian
1: yeah I feel like uh the way that I'm reading it at this point is like it was you know like they say or at least some say that um like faith is 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 a gift of God it's not necessarily a choice that you make per se and so uh, it's, uh, I wonder if that's what it was. Apparently my uh, family member had been praying for me for some time who was Christian, you know, like, Oh, you know, whatever. So, you know, who, who knows, it seems to me that it was like given to me, like, I didn't reach this by any kind of rational process. It was just a moment. And now, well, now I believe in some basic sense that this is true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and I, you know, yeah well that's that's encouraging to hear uh, I, I keep a prayer list of people in my life that I pray for, and um one never knows uh, the power of prayer um, uh, but it also seems like this you know Christianity for you is a bit of a gift in that like you were trained in the basic tenets of it growing up and have been sort of around it uh, uh, at least in at least in somewhat um unusual forms maybe through some of these philosophers and artists that you were into i mean john don i think is more of a mainstream christian uh i think he was uh, he has belonged to some sort of a normal denomination if i'm not mistaken um yeah whereas william blake was more uh he's kind of uh colors outside the lines a little bit um yeah yeah uh, uh so i mean how have you um been trying to live into your christianity uh since since that experience i'm um, mostly
1: did, doing a lot of reading um i uh, i don't even remember how but i started uh, I, I came upon orthodoxy or eastern orthodoxy or whatever you want to call it um and uh, uh maybe i like i think i'm i started by just like looking at different things that i didn't know being raised Catholic. I looked at some of the, you know, like what's Lutheranism? What are the kind of, uh, main Protestant things? And I had, you know, heard of Orthodoxy. So I was like, well, what is that? And I started reading about it. And then I was like, Oh, well, this fits my expectation for what I had always expected Christianity to be. And through experience felt like Catholicism, Roman Catholicism wasn't, um, uh, particularly in that sort of intellectual disposition of Catholicism and trying to rationally know things that seem to be unknowable. It's my philosophical background. I basically came to the conclusion, which I think is correct, that one cannot know God rationally. And the attempt to do that is going to lead you to um, a tough, a tough spot. And I think it ultimately leads a lot of people into atheism. If you start with the assumption that you can know God rationally, and then discover that you can't, then you conclude that God doesn't exist.
0: Hmm.
1: But I, that never made sense to me. And part of the whole trip down Gnosticism is was the sort of on the intuition that if there is some kind of divine spiritual something, you're not going to know it through a rational argument. It has to be through some kind of experience or revelation or, or something like that, but not through through reason. And that seems to be something that orthodoxy uh generally uh, has or the, the the or well the admission that you can't know god ultimately but um what is known is um not through a rational dis- discursive philosophical sort of sort of process and the, the way that you know that interprets um the holy spirit and stuff like that resonated a lot more with me and made a lot more sense um and as i Read more and more into it. It just, yeah, for a number of reasons, it just uh, struck me as much, much closer to what uh, I guess I was looking for.
0: You said you've you've read Seraphim Rose.
1: Yeah, I read um, Nile his nihilism and the source of revolution, uh, and that really kind of put a lot of things to rest for me. Or because he, he basically affirmed a lot of my intuitions, uh, and because I'd started to suspect that, however one would can think of god it's impossible to have a, a coherent world with without some kind of fixed uh, unchanging you know something or other and uh you know in, in nihilism he talks about revolution as this sort of you know uh rebel rebellion against god basically and nihilism is basically part and parcel of the rebellion against god that necessarily entails destroying order as such and denying. Uh, that sort of stuff uh that's a very gross gloss and uh probably not totally accurate but um i read that and the orthodoxy and um religion of the future which basically read back to me all the things that i was getting involved with from a completely different perspective that i didn't realize uh and um his orthodox survival course which is pretty mind-blowing where he goes through sort of the history of western thought really uh, well, more than just Western thought, but there's significant stuff about the uh, Enlightenment and the Renaissance and the role of like the occult and Gnostic tendencies and all of that. And the search for knowledge and the development of scientism, so to speak, this idea that we can uh, know our way into salvation if we just get more perfect knowledge and recreate the universe according to ourselves and all kinds of stuff, uh, stuff like that, which was very Mind-blowing and it connected a lot of dots that I was never able to put together from a purely from my philosophical education Some of this stuff never quite made sense to me as a project like the enlightenment project Um say didn't make sense. It makes a lot more sense seeing it in the context or of um uh, I guess a bigger spiritual sort of conflict than just as oh, well, you know We discovered that rationality is cool and we can like do whatever there's a lot of presuppositions built into there that we don't get taught even in philosophy school um
0: hmm. yeah so that's, yeah, I've read a lot of them, yeah that's uh that's that's fascinating i haven't read any uh seraphim rose myself he just has a reputation um you know in the community i've read some other things but uh i, I think well he like, speaks wh- for, to the he speaks to this time you
1: know he hmm. was uh, he, in my understanding i think i he was a student of Alan Watts, yeah, and an act of practicing Hindu. So he like, you know, he had firsthand experience of this stuff. and he speaks about it, you know, in an informed, competent, and very precise way, not in a sort of um like bombastic, oh, n- no, here come the big, bad evil mad magicians and Harry Potter sort of thing. It's like, no, here's here's what this is in ter- in its own terms. And here's what it is from the standpoint of orthodoxy, and here's why it all fits fits together.
0: I think I'm ready for him now. I don't think I was before. Like, I think I still had, like, too much attachment to my previous Buddhism. Um, So, like, I didn't want to read someone that might be critical of it. But as I've come to understand, like, as much good as I think there is in Buddhism, like, its fundamental worldview is not pointing towards the good. Um, Like, if I can say that out loud, um, like, that, that, you know, ultimately... We shouldn't be striving for non-existence like it doesn't that's not that's not very appealing that's not what the good is um uh like if i can say that then i'm like i think i'm like ready for seraphim rose now where yeah i wasn't before
1: yeah he's uh yeah he, he's he's challenging especially coming from from that like i've recommended uh him to some other people and like they've gotten through it but it, it, it's challenging because it's like the religion of the future thing like that's that's a reality. It seems to me like this, there's a sort of uh, milieu of sort of Hinduism, pantheism, spiritism, mediumism, that's all kind of, has a lot of the same things going on. And our sort of general societal tendency seems to be towards that. Like people are despairing of materialism and find that it's not satisfying. There's something missing out of it. And so they're like, Oh, I need some kind of spirituality. And then they go into, to, to this set of, um, uh, this sort of uh, yeah, conglomeration of of related ideas, basically, on the assumption that that you know God is dead and Christianity doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Everybody, this is a foregone conclusion, and I didn't realize how much it was so for me until I started thinking about it more seriously. Like, oh well, God is dead. Obviously, God is mm-hmm. dead. We all know that Nietzsche said it. It must be true. You know, mm-hmm. and you don't know, think about it anymore.
0: Yeah, Nietzsche said um, it. It must be true. Pretty much, you mm-hmm. know. Said but it, 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 it is a background assumption and and i think like that's what this podcast right now is about is like what if we question our assumptions question everything you know which back in the 80s meant like throw away your parents religion but like today it might mean um question uh the assumption that you should throw out god um like what if he was important uh what if we need him <laughs> to live any sort of a decent life um what if he's not dead yeah <laughs> what, if, what, if, what if there is a true and living God um by the name of Jesus uh, that could be true uh how does that change your life and is it, and if you try that on like do you like it better um I mean I, I think a, a lot of people find like nihilism ultimately unsatisfying uh for me I think uh you know the pantheistic stuff was an escapism um didn't really help uh it didn't feel true um, i don't think i'm one with everything i think i'm deeply interconnected with everything but that's not the same thing as being one with everything um and uh like i think there is a me um so like in christianity or in the in the orthodox idea there's like a deep communion with god is possible and I, and that's the um and that's the 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 goal of, of humanity is to to know god as intimately as we as we can which is completely in everything but his essence uh through grace but um but there is always that separation i'm always me and god is always god and i'm very grateful for that i wouldn't want it any other way you eliminate that distinction and i mean you're just left in hell uh, or solipsism or uh and it's it doesn't make sense anymore to me uh, that's my take on things
1: um, yeah yeah it doesn't well that's the kind of terrifying thing i think about um the sort of like transcendental meditation eastern religion sort of thing of like dissolution and um there's a there's a real wager going on there because if you don't believe that there's you know heaven and hell basically if you don't believe in that um And and that it's just nothing, I don't know. That's not very compelling. Like you're just trying to die in in some sense, assuming that death is just not existing, uh, whatever that means. But if on the other hand, there is a spiritual reality and death, true death isn't just like bodily death, but something else, then it becomes becomes a much bigger issue, um, I guess, and I think that, the inability of pantheism to deal with that or really to just kind of cover it over because having fooled around with that stuff i had distinct experiences especially at like concerts and stuff like this especially at jam band type concerts of this feeling of (laughs) things are superficially different like they're playing different notes and the songs are changing but it's the same thing going on endlessly and at a certain point in one particular show, I, I was just like, I, I want to leave. This is just the same thing over and over again. It's just party. And party is like one substance that's just mm. continuous and non-differentiated. And then mm. I, you know, get sick of it and it's like, well, thank God I'm still alive and I can just walk out the door and go somewhere else and do something else. But what if I had to be locked in here for this jam band show for all eternity? That was you know, listening to effectively the same thing in infinite variations for forever. And it feels really hollow and empty and it's a visceral feeling of like oh my gosh i feel sick i need to go look at some trees or something like this is terrible um and in retrospect that's seen i'm starting to think that that's what death is or like that's like in a certain sense a foretaste of what hell might be and i don't know because i'm i obviously don't have the spiritual discernment to be able to do that to make that assessment but um Actually, on the first time I went to uh, in the Orthodox church, afterwards, after the service, I walked out, and nothing happened consciously. I didn't know. I walked out, and everything was cal- like calm and peaceful, but in a sort of detached way that I had never experienced before. Um, and I, man, I feel terrible because I had actually finally managed to articulate what this, what this was. Uh, in better words. Um, so for, for, yeah, forgive me for that. But uh, I had a sense of permanence in that while at the same time, the world around me felt uh, impermanent and it was very bittersweet of like, Oh, this is, this is good, but temporary, but I feel fixed and everything feels like there's an order to it. And it, I, what stuck out to me is how it contrasted with that experience it mm-hmm. threw it into a stark relief of, OK, well, I'm at this concert and it's the same sort of thing cycling over and over and over again forever, just kind of churning effectively. And then I had this, in contrast, a feeling of like just being fixed and the world around me, you know, changing, but ultimately being... um still still having a sense of uh, having internally a sense of permanence it's it's kind of difficult to describe but it was like very different sort of feeling of i feel fixed within a world of change versus i'm just being churned about in this sort of endless um, cycle or something like that
0: yeah it's really profound to think about that contrast Um, because like at the liturgy every sunday like we do do the same thing every sunday but somehow like that feels good. Whereas going to your, your like 13th jam band concert of the year feels hollow or like it stops satisfying. Um, And like, what's the difference there between why does, why do I go to liturgy every week and feel good about it? Um, But like, for me, the jam band equivalent is something like, yeah, party as this undifferentiated substance. Uh, It was probably like Burning Man. Um, It's like, you know, I mean, I'm not that excited to go to Burning Man ever again. I mean, I'm not saying I, I like completely reject all parties, but in general, like parties are not satisfying. Party is no longer satisfying to me. And like, what's the difference there? And it's something to do with like God or not God. And like maybe anything experienced eternally, like when you're imagining eternal jam band, like that being hell. And I think anything experienced eternally other than God uh, would be hell. Um,
1: that's, yeah, that's my impression. Um, it seems, well, the, one of the things with the liturgy, in contrast to say a jam band, is that everything in it has has meaning and it's, you know, there's a definite structure and form to it that is, you know, ever consistent and every, if you remove any of the elements, it changes the whole, whereas at, you know, a jam band concert, that's not so it's arbitrary which notes are played are arbitrary and part of the point of it is well i didn't see just this particular time this time it's slightly different than last time but it's still kind of the same but it's different but there's no the difference isn't meaningful mm-hmm. it's like superficially different um and without it like the the and the internal structure seem to be kind of i i is inherently meaningless because they're just sounds (laughs) Mm. they're just sounds without any meaning and this is maybe where language comes in you know because the liturgy has you know can have music but um there's words that mean things it's poetry yeah
0: really um like for me like the liturgy and, and it's also um prayer uh and um like for me like the liturgy different parts speak to me different weeks like like it is this active conversation between myself and god um where where i am being spoken to like through the liturgy um and i'm relating to god through it and uh yeah it's it's i never haven't got tired of it yet <laughs> i haven't got tired of it yet i don't i don't think i will um but uh yeah it's it's, it's very different um
1: oh actually don't you mention it, it seems like there's a direction like in in prayer like that you're you know you're directing it towards towards god um but that direction seems significant. like if you go to a concert, you're not directing yourself towards anything like mm. and the people that are playing aren't really directing it either. They're kind of just doing it. It's just mm. an event that happens that hasn't it's not directed towards anything, whether that's God or anything else. It's just kind of for its own sake. yeah, and
0: yeah, and you especially get that feeling at a jam band.
1: Yeah, that's why I picked that out in particular because yeah. they really drive that home. Because you can hear the same song a bajillion times or well or hear three different songs that are different
0: songs that all sound the same. And
1: that gets mm-hmm. kind of unnerving.
0: Well, <laughs> so. I, I, I do like this idea of like party as being like a single substance. And I think it's like when you get tired of party, that is certainly like I saw um, I was 35 when I, I, I broke up with a, a long-term girlfriend, and like I was seeing. Like guys who are forty-five and fifty, like at these parties, like trying to pick up chicks, and I'm like, "I is that what I want to be doing when I'm, when I'm forty-five or fifty? Like, do I want? And it, it's horrifying to me. Like, I don't want. Yeah. Like, party is not my life. Um, like, there's a limit to how much party can satisfy me. In fact, it, and now, um, as I'm getting towards forty, it's uh, it doesn't satisfy me much at all. Like, I have to. Like I only enjoy party if it's in like a, in a matrix of meaning, like with, uh, celebrating something important or, um, really relating to my friends that I love. Um, it's really lost its flavor. Uh, and I think that when that, when party loses its flavors, when people fail out of the, the, the neo-hippie scene, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That's, kind of the point that i reached realized yeah it's not it's not fulfilling it goes nowhere and um you, you know you can't, i, I kind of started to feel beholden to it both to like the drugs and to the you know alcohol and you know whatever else you and then this sort of oh you know am i going to you know go am i going to get laid you know I'm like what am i here for it's like this sort of endless cycle of consuming the same substances repeatedly, doing the same things often enough, depending who you hang out with, hearing the same music over and over again, and then seeking what is ultimately a very diminished form, I think, of sexuality. Even um, such that you can you 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 just have these sort of interchangeable people, effectively. Like it doesn't matter which one, you know, you could find anyone at the party, and if it just works out in a the moment, then that's fine that kind of flattens that experience and makes it not meaningful. And that definitely loses its, its flavor after a while. And then, you know, now I kind of am seeing it very differently. Like, oh, well, you know, how much of that was freedom and how much of that is me being enslaved to my own desires and being led around by various impulses rather than actually choosing anything.
0: Well, um, you know, we're coming up on the end of like the time that, said we would take and uh it's been very delightful john uh very happy to have you here um i I don't know if you would feel comfortable i don't know if you'd have any um like what 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 advice would you give to someone in their 20s maybe like going on their own spiritual journey like churning through different worldviews like uh i don't know is there anything that you'd say to like a younger version of yourself
1: Um beware, I guess. Test Mm. the uh test the uh spirits, I guess, see where things are coming from, try and see uh look at look at all the perspectives and don't take things as foregone conclusions based on what um society might tell you and say, like, oh well this religion can't be whatever because it's over. I mean that was the biggest thing for me is this sort of underlying atheist assumption. And that, you know, there is no God, God is impossible and materialism and all this sort of other stuff that's just kind of in the background milieu that we don't even think about. And a lot of this stuff, I'm still uncovering assumptions that I have that I don't know that I have. Um, And so, I mean, really kind of just question things more, especially if if (laughs) if it's if everybody's doing it and it's the main thing that everybody's doing and it's on every TV and on every social media and whatever at the very least question it, if not just go a completely different way, because if everybody's doing the same thing and believing the same thing and not, yeah, I don't know. I've always been skeptical of that sort of stuff and uh, try and examine what, what about those things you might be accepting for granted without realizing it, which is kind of hard if you're, if you're in it. So it's kind of expose yourself to stuff that uh, contradicts what you think. I mean, really. Challenge yourself
0: like question everything but for real Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah Like actually take breaks take
1: breaks don't question everything all the time because that leads to despair, but uh,
0: you have a cup of tea sometimes
1: Yeah, and see your friends and family And uh
0: Well, let's let's call it there John. I appreciate your time It's a great conversation. I hope people enjoy this and Thanks for coming.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me